Good morning. morning. How y'all doing this morning? Hey, uh, I have one quick announcement before we start this morning, just a very brief one. We're going to be blessed with an opportunity next Sunday morning. Uh, We've got, um, instead of the praise band or or the Henshaw is sharing with us, uh, my brother-in-law is going to be here, uh, Sharon's brother, and uh, he leads worship as as, uh, that's part of what he does for a living, and so he's going to be with us. He has been with a number of Christian groups. He, he uh, most recently with uh, DC Talk. He spent eight years with DC Talk uh, as their lead guitarist and then also as um, a background vocalist. And so uh, it'll be a special treat for us next week. And so I want to encourage you and invite you to be here next Sunday morning. I had the privilege about, it's been about maybe a week, week and a half ago, to uh, be a part of an event that took place in one of our local schools here in town, or actually in Newark. And what it was, was it was a team building thing to help develop leaders. There were four teams. Each team had about, um, I'd say, an average of 15 to 20 people on the team. And what they wanted to do was, with, with, without giving a whole lot of instruction, they wanted to see how a team would come together and move, move that team from one side of the gymnasium to the other side of the gymnasium. Now, and, 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 and they, ha- they had to pretend that the gap between the two ends of the gymnasium was molten lava. Molten lava. And so, so if you fell off or whatever it was that you were going to be using to get from one side to the other side, you perished. Uh, you died, okay? Each team was, was uh, given the same tools, Probably the biggest tool they had was a, uh, a, a mat, like a gymnast mat that you've seen laid out when people are, when, when some of the gymnasts do their practicing, their exercises and stuff like that. They had that, they had, uh, they had, they had these little spot things that you could s- jump out on and supposedly that, that kept you from falling into the lava and then you could go so far. Now the problem with that was there was only about eight of them. And so you could only go about 20 feet and you probably had to go the better part of 100 feet. They were given two jump ropes. Yeah, a lot of good that's going to do you. And then they were also given these little, little cart things that, um, that they're about, uh, about two foot square and they have rollers on them and you sit on them and then you could roll across on that. Okay? Now, you couldn't put your hands in the lava so they gave you two of those um, things that you used at the swimming pool that, to, to, those little flotation things. And again, I don't understand how those things don't burn up in the lava but it wasn't my event. Okay? Now, the other thing that's interesting is they began by allowing a leader with each of these four groups to the first time through help the team get across. Okay? So in other words, they had somebody giving advice on how best to do this. The second time when they did it, the leader was still there and could give suggestions, but could not literally help, could not orchestrate or organize things. So the second time when they went back then, they had, they had help, but they had less help. Then the third time, they were totally on their own. They were totally on their own. And if I could sum up how the event worked, how it, how it, how it, um, how it played out, how, you know, how it worked out as far as uh, was it successful or not, I can sum it up in one word. Chaos. <laughs> Chaos. It was horrible. I mean, 
quite frankly, if, if this had been real, the human race just ceased to exist. I mean, it was terrible. Now, you, some of you may have figured this out already. Some of you may not have. The four teams, you may or may not know it, but I have started uh, substitute school teaching in the Newark system. The four teams were four classes of kindergartners. <laughs> four classes of kindergartners. Um, and, and so I guess, I guess, being fair to the kindergartners, they probably didn't do any better or any worse than we might have done. They, they, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things. And I, I, I really enjoyed my, my, my teaching that day was to, to assist where I could assist. And, and um, they were beyond help. <laughs> but, but, here's what I want you to hear. After 25 years of working in the church, working with different churches in terms of helping them to establish leadership, helping them to build leadership, and helping them to, to allow that leadership to, to flower and blossom in terms of reaching people for Jesus Christ, guess what? The church ain't a whole lot different. The church has its issues and its problems as well in terms of leadership. So this morning I want to spend a few minutes talking to you about what this says on here empowering the leader in each of us. And I, I suspect right now some of you have just clicked off because your, your comment might be to yourself, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have those skills. And so therefore, I am a much better follower than leader, so he's not speaking to me today. But guess what? I believe the scriptures make it very clear that every one of us is called to be a leader in and through the church. Now, to be sure, each of us has different roles that we need to fulfill in being a leader, and, and I, I don't want to imply that one is better or more important than the other, but some leaders are leaders of teams, and, and as, as has been mentioned, we need some of those. But every one of us, as a believer in Jesus Christ, is called to be a leader. Now, as I open up with our passage of Scripture this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background. It's, it's in the Gospel of John. It's a passage of Scripture that takes place after Jesus has been crucified and actually after he has risen from the dead. If you remember when Jesus chose his disciples and he spent three years working with them to develop them into their leadership roles, remember who they were? They were not what I would call special people. I mean, everybody is special before God, yes. But some of them were carpenters. Some of them were, were people who, they were fishermen. There was one guy who was kind of a, um, he was kind of a wild guy and, and kind of stirred up trouble. There was Matthew who was a tax collector. But none of them had what I would call extraordinary skills or gifts. But Jesus took them and worked with them over three years to be leaders. He trained them. He mentored them. He worked special with three or four of them to bring them or to get them to the place where when he passed on, and he knew that he would, that they would carry the torch beyond that in terms of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now the scene, before I read this scripture this morning, the scene is they've gathered in the upper room. This is after he's been crucified. 
they're, they're petrified. They're worried. They're fearful of what might happen to them. The guy that was in charge, the guy that was, was doing everything to help us take the next steps is now dead. What's going to happen to us? And so let me pick up with that passage of Scripture. John, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. And it says, On the evening of that day, again, after Christ has been crucified, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were with fear for the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Notice the words in red. Most of you already know, if not all of you. Words in red means those are the words of Christ. Peace be with you. Now think about it. They're petrified. They're holed up. They're wondering when their end is going to come. And Jesus comes to them. And I believe even through his death and resurrection, he continues to mentor them. He continues to, if you will, empower them to be leaders. He simply says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He proved to them, I am who I said I am. I have done what I said I would do. Yes, they will crucify me. Yes, I will die, but on the third day I will raise. And he has now come to be with them. And then the last verse that I want to share, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, or so even, I send you. As I said a moment ago, even through his death and resurrection, Jesus is continuing to, to model for the disciples what it means to be a leader. Now, one of the things I'm going to ask you to, to, to sort of go along with me on this morning, my suspicion is that for every one of us here, particularly for those of you who are leaders, for those of you that lead in business or school or wherever you may be, you have, you have a predetermined idea of what the characteristics or traits of a leader are. And, and I'm sure they're all fine. But this morning, I want to try to broaden that a little bit and, and share with you what I believe it means for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, what it means to be empowered by Christ, and some of the leadership characteristics that I believe Jesus would say to each of us that we should have as we live out our lives walking with him and trying to be the example he's called us to be. He says to them, peace. I don't know about you, but... Uh, there are, any, there are any number of things in our world today that cause me anything but peace. All you've got to watch is the news for about two or three minutes, and you say, man, what an uproar. Whether it be politics or, or robberies or anything that is going on, it's hard to be peaceful, isn't it? But what he said to them is, in me, through me, in the midst of what's going on, you can count on one thing, peace. There's a quiet in the storm, and that comes through our relationship with him. He also says, let me remind you of the purpose. As my Father has sent me, as I have been the one who is showing you the way to life everlasting, but also life now, that's the same thing I'm charging you with. That's the same opportunity I'm affording you. So even I send you. He reminded them that, yes, I have gone to my rightful place to be with my Heavenly Father. You are the ones, you, you as the disciples, you as my believers. 
you're the ones that are now being called to carry forth that very message of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Each of us, that's our role. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is look at some of what I believe are leadership traits that Jesus taught his disciples, and then in turn, his disciples taught others, who taught others, who taught others, to the point that here we are some 2,000 years later, with the same responsibilities, with the same opportunities as believers in Christ to be the leaders he called them to be, he's calling us to be today as well. So, let me look at five of those real quick. I realize we're, we're a little short on time this morning, but I don't have anywhere to go this afternoon. Um, five leadership traits that I believe are significant that each of us need to exhibit or we want to exhibit as we become leaders in sharing Jesus Christ at whatever level or opportunity he gives to us. And the first one simply is, Jesus invested in people. And today, if we're going to be a leader for Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to invest in the lives of others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says that you and I, we, have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that literally the gospel has been placed in our care. The gospel has been placed in our care. All down through the ages, the primary thing you and I have been called to do as believers is to be the expression of Christ, to lead forth into the world as an expression of Jesus Christ. Jesus believed that the gospel he gave to his disciples helped to make them leaders, who in turn demonstrated a confidence that passed that information on from person to person down through the generations, and here we are today. You and I, we are the link for the next generation. And if we don't tell others about Christ, if we, if we don't share with others what he has entrusted with us, it gets blocked. In my profession over 25 years, I made the statement often that the church is always one generation from extinction. And the reason it is one generation from extinction is if we don't continue to tell the good news of Jesus wherever we may go, if we don't continue to be the good news of Jesus wherever we go, what happens? It dies off. Pastor Kevin mentioned a few moments ago about the number of pastors that are leaving the ministry. That is very, very true, not, and I'm not suggesting he would have not told us the truth, but what I want you to hear is that, a, that is a startling statistic, a scary statistic, as we look at the church of Jesus Christ. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel. Let me try to illustrate with a very simple illustration. My suspicion is that any, any one of us in this room, we probably have something in our possession that has been passed down to us by a previous generation. I had a couple of things I was going to bring to share with you this morning, but I was afraid I'd break them. <laughs> but my wife has some things at home. She has some plates that go all the way back to her mother to her grandmother, to her great-grandmother that have been passed down. We have some things that have been passed down that, quite honestly, we don't know where they've come from. 
but, but, but just that we have them. We have a set of eight wine glasses at home. I, I don't know if they're actually wine glasses or not, but they're, they're, they're the color of wine, okay? And, and um, we, we, we inherited them from somewhere. They've been passed down. My wife loves them because when she puts her wine in the glass, you can't tell it's wine. Somehow, I think I'll know that tomorrow. <laughs> and thank you, thank you. I appreciate that support. But listen to me carefully, folks. Every one of us that's gathered here this morning that has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter where we are in that journey, no matter, no matter how strong or how close we may think it is, we have been entrusted to take what we've been given, what somebody shared with us, mom, dad, grandparents, pastor, Sunday school teacher, whoever, we have been entrusted with that, not, not to hoard it, not to keep it, not to keep it a secret, but to give it away. That's one of the leadership traits that Jesus taught his disciples. He empowered them. He empowered them to not only have the gospel, not only receive the gospel, but give it away. And unlike so many other things that we might give away, giving away the good news of Jesus Christ, the more that we give away, guess what? The more we have. Now the second leadership trait gets a little tougher here. It says, and we're reminded that Jesus gave up his will. He gave up his will. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. This is the night that Christ is betrayed. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what's, going, what's, what's coming down the pike. He knows what he's about to endure and face over the next few days. But here's what he prays. Father, all things are possible for you. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not what I will, Nevertheless, not what I want, but rather what you will, Lord. He gave up his own self-will to do the will of the Father. If we're going to provide the leadership today that each of us is called to do, we've got to be willing to set ourselves aside. In simplest of terms, we've got to be willing to, to let go of the steering wheel of our life, slide over beside, and let Jesus take control of our life. We need to be willing to say, sometimes, Lord, that's a little awkward, that's a little inconvenient for me to put you first. But what he taught his disciples, not my will, but Lord, your will. Easier said than done. But I'm here to say to you this morning, if you're willing to do that, God will work with you in some miraculous ways. He'll, he'll do some things that, quite frankly, you never dreamt could be done. And, and understand this, that sometimes we don't know what it is we're doing even. But if we're willing to step aside and put him in charge, God will take and use us to do some things that we may never know about. Let me give you an example. I've already told you, I've, uh, I, taught, I'm, I'm, I keep saying I'm teaching school I'm not sure that's what I'm doing, although I, once in a while I know the answer to a question. <laughs> once in a while, like 
What's your name, teacher? But anyway, we won't go there. For whatever reason, I had the, what I thought was going to be a, a frustrating day. I was the intervention specialist for two fifth graders who were serving in school suspensions. Okay? Okay? And I'm thinking, Lord, for some reason you put me with these two little snots. I mean, these two. <laughs> you put me with these two. They were both boys. And I, of course, they were boys. And I'm thinking, Lord, I, I, I know, I, I know, and, and I, I understand why, and I, I do my very, very, very best to honor it. I know I can't preach in school, okay? But it's amazing. I was told if they ask me, I can talk, okay? So, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, Lord, this one little boy... He's just a pain in the, whatever part of the body you want to put in there. We get, we get to conversing. And, oh, you need to know, by the way, his name was Zachariah. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you gave me this little boy with a biblical name. What do you want me to do? And so... I decided, I, I, I tend, I, I do this as sort of an icebreaker with a whole class. I will ask them, I am 69 years old, I am retired, what do you think I did for a living? And I'm here to tell you this morning that I've done that in about 20 classes now, and never have they guessed until I say, I was a minister. So what I said to this little boy, he asked me, he said, what, do you, what did you do? And I said, well, I'm a retired minister. He looked at me and he, as his exact words were, I was named after a Bible character. And I said, I know. <laughs> but are you ready for this? Then he said to me, but I don't believe. I don't believe in any of that. And I said to him, go to hell. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I was avoiding religion. I said to him what I was taught in seminary to say when I didn't know what to say. That's interesting. <laughs> now, I could go on and tell you how the full seven hours went. But I will tell you this. At the end of the day, he looked at me and he said, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I may have to, he didn't use the word reconsider, but he said, I may have to think some things through. Okay? Now, trust me, folks, in no way, shape, or form, take that as me patting myself on the back. What I'm saying to you is, if we're going to be the leader and we're going to fulfill what it is that God has called us to do and be, we've got to set self aside and then let God do what he wants to in and through us. Do I know what happened to Zechariah? No, I don't. What I do know is that God's at work doing something. That's, that's my promise. That's my claim. Now, one last comment. And I'm not sure God's sense of humor. I just think sometimes is not the greatest. But the next class I was in, which was a full class, 
one little boy was just a, another pain in the whatever, okay? Guess what his name was? Malachi. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of bracing myself that when that kid comes up and says, my name's Jesus, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But if we allow ourselves... I'm sorry, folks. I'm not making this up. Truth is stranger than fiction, okay? Jesus wants to empower us to be a leader. But we've got to be willing to make the investment that he's called us to. What's the third point? Jesus surrounded himself with people in need of a savior. I don't need to say a whole lot about this one other than to say to you, I, I put two passages of scripture up there. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And then, oh, what did I put the other one? John, John 8. How do you do it, Kevin? I can't read the back back there, but you can. Oh, well, I didn't learn that in seminary. Um, John chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, if, if you're familiar with it, actually the, the crux of that particular passage is three lost stories. One deals with the, the, lost, the lost sheep, where the shepherd sets aside the 99 and goes looking for the one. One deals with the lost coin where the woman, even though she's got nine coins, she goes looking for that last coin. And the other one is the parable of the, of the prodigal son. But this morning what I want you to hear and, and recognize is that first line says this. All the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching. Do you know what one of the primary things was all, all through Jesus' ministry that got him in trouble? He spent time with sinners. Okay? He spent time with sinners. And all I'm saying to you is if we're going to be the leaders that he calls us to be in and through the life of the church, and oh, by the way, don't forget the definition of the church. The church is not a building. The church is us. We are the church. And if we're going to be the church that he calls us to be, if we're going to be the leaders that he calls us to be, it's not simply that we stay together with those that we like, with those that we become comfortable with in here, but rather that we take the good news out. Jesus spent time as a leader reaching out to the lost. He spent time reaching out to tax collectors, to sinners, to whomever, whomever had a need. That's what Jesus was willing to do. And when he did that, then he became, he became a witness whether he said anything or not. He became a witness that if we were allowing, willing him to let him do it, when we would set our own self-will aside and, and use his will, then great things would happen. You know I love to play golf. I, got, I, got, I had the extreme privilege of playing golf in the Bahamas during a hurricane. I'm seeing if you're still awake. It was not during a hurricane. I found out that the greens fees were $265 a person. Now, fortunately, it was part of my package. Okay? You, and so I had to rent clubs, but they gave you eight golf balls. Of the 18 holes on this golf course, 16 of them bordered the ocean. I knew I'd need more than eight. But I ended up, because I was just a single, I ended up being paired with three businessmen, three businessmen from Chicago. And immediately their approach to me was, we'll take these two guys and you're on this guy's team and we're going to play for money. 
And I said, they're going to lose their money because I am not very good. Well, l let me make a long story short. Over the first five holes, I still had golf balls left. They had to get more. They were, they were horrible. And not only that, they, they, they practiced this strange, this strange technique of instead of realizing and just simply acknowledging, I don't play with the darn, meaning them, they blamed Jesus for everything. Well, Jesus this, and, and I, you, you, don't ha you can use your imaginations where this is going, right? So finally, much to my amazement, I was able to keep my mouth shut. Finally, one of them said to me, what do you do for a living? And I told them I was a language specialist. <laughs> no, I told them I was a minister. Now, my golf game stayed the same. Amazingly enough, theirs didn't get a whole lot better, but the conversation did. <laughs> All I'm saying to you folks is Jesus calls us to provide leadership to a world that is filled with darkness. He calls us to provide leadership to a world that, that says there's many other opportunities, but this is the main one. And if we're willing to set ourselves aside, make the investment into the world around us, he will use us. You see, folks, I, cannot, I don't know how best to say this, but just simply put it, we are not in charge of the results. We are the messenger. We are the leader that brings forth the message. It is God through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit that does the work. Be the messenger. Be the leader that takes the good news from the last generation to this generation and prepares it for the next generation. That's what it means to be a leader for Jesus. Oh, we're still, run we're still good on time. Sorry for you. Number four, Jesus sent people away from him on mission. Luke chapter 9, in that particular passage of scripture, Jesus calls his disciples together and says, Kumbaya, let's have another church gathering. No, he didn't. What he said was, I'm sending you out. I am sending you out. He didn't simply say, open the doors of the church and wait for the people to come in. Now, to be sure, some people do. Perhaps some of you may have just wandered in, and all I mean by that is, hey, let's try that church. Or maybe you were here at the mall shopping one day and you said, hey, that looks weird. Let's try it on Sunday. But the statistics are that most of us, most people who come that get involved with the church, that get involved in terms of a relationship with Christ, come only because somebody went out and got them. What do I mean by that? 85 to 90 percent of the people come to church because somebody invited them. We're, we've moved into a culture where very few people come in on their own. The church needs to be the church and allow Jesus to send us out. Yes, we need worship. We need to come and we need to be fed. We need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged. We need to be educated and trained. But then not just sit on our butts in here. We need to be willing to go out and be the presence of Christ 
in the world. I had another illustration, but I came across this one. I came across it on Facebook. So I know it's true. Um, and I, honestly, I don't remember whose name was even at the top of it. So I'm, let me make it loud and clear. This is not my, my illustration, okay? But here's what it says. It starts out by saying, I absolutely love this. I believe churches are meant for praising God. We okay with that? Let's praise God. That's what we're supposed to do. Part of what we do with worship music is we praise God. But I also believe there are 2 a.m. car rides. If you've ever been out on the road at 2 a.m., which I know none of you are because you're all good. Never mind. But so are 2 2 a.m. car rides, showers, coffee shops, the gym, conversations with friends, conversations with strangers, etc. Now here's what I want you to hear. Don't let a building confine your faith because we will never change the world by just going to church. We need to be the church. The church is not this space. It is not this roof. It is not these four walls. It is each of us. And what Jesus taught his disciples in terms of leadership, what he teaches us today in terms of leadership is get your fannies out there. Be the presence of Christ. Not be afraid to put him first. Not be afraid to just simply say, Lord, I give it over to you. Use me somehow today. And lastly, lastly, Jesus felt the needs of people. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 37. In this passage of Scripture, it starts out by saying, And Jesus traveled around the cities and the villages and the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of Christ. Again, the operative word is he went out. He went out looking for people. And he says he looked upon them, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Am I safe to say that we live in a world that is confused today? That a world at a very, very high level doesn't know what leader to follow? A world that, that, that complains about virtually every leader? A world that is wandering around searching for an answer, but looking in all the wrong places and finding some horrible leadership. What Jesus is saying to us, as the leaders we're called to, we need to go out in the world and simply share him, but also be him in the world. And if we're willing to do that, we're going to see some great things happen. Not because of what we do, but because of what he does through us. Now, there's an operative word in there. It says he saw them as being like sheep without a shepherd. And then it says, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion. That word compassion in the Greek, I don't remember what what it is. I didn't do well in Greek in school. But what I do know is that word meant that when he saw them, he became distraught. He became upset. Almost in those days, they believed that our emotions did not emanate from our heart or our mind. They actually emanated from our gut. And so when he saw people lost, needing, needing help, a sheep looking for a shepherd, he became upset. He became sick. There are people in our world today 
There are people in our world today, many of them, and I know you know some of them, who are desperate, who are looking for answers that perhaps aren't, aren't there. They're looking for solutions in the wrong places, in the wrong corner of life. They've turned to drugs, they've turned to alcohol, they've turned to any number of things. But they've not turned to the true answer. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you, you, you know and I would, you, you know and I know, accepting Jesus Christ doesn't poof, make all your problems go away. We know that. But we also know that as we give our life to Christ and as they give their life to Christ, they have someone who will walk with them through the difficulties and the trials. Not a momentary event, but a journey, but one that Christ promises us if we will walk with him, he will bless us in that walk. But that won't happen, folks. That won't happen until you and I develop the compassion for those out there who need a Savior. It won't happen until we reach a point where we're willing to do just what Jesus called the leaders, his disciples, to do. And that is reach out into a world that was lost, that is lost. It's all well and good that we come together. And I can't say it enough. We need to come together. We need to worship together. We need to be encouraged one with another. We need to be taught we need to pray. We need to experience what it is for God's people to come together. But our experience of worship should not end on Sunday morning at 12 o'clock or 12.15 when we walk out those doors. It should not end, but rather, it should begin. Because you and I are to be the leaders that Christ has called. You and I are to be the ones who are willing to take what we have been entrusted with. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I are the ones who have been called to give up our own self-will and be obedient unto Him and allow Him to guide and direct, knowing that He is far better at it than we are. You and I are the ones that are called to surround ourselves with people who need a relationship with Christ. You and I are the ones who are called to, to go out to the people rather than wait for them to come to us. And you and I are the ones that are called. You and I are the ones that are called to have a compassion for the lost to the point where we will do something about it. We will make ourselves available to Christ to let him work in and through us to, to impact the lives of those that we come in contact with. I believe that Jesus has empowered, that God has empowered through Jesus each and every one of us to do just that. It's not a question of, do we have the right stuff? Yeah, we got the right stuff. It's Him. That's not the issue. Can we do it? Yeah, we can do it. That's not the issue. The question is, having been empowered to do it, are we willing to do it? Let's pray. Lord, you have called each of us to be your witness. You have, you have empowered us to be your witness. 
Now, Lord, encourage us to do it. For it is these things we pray in thy name. Amen. One of the passages of scripture I shared a few moments ago was the passage where Jesus was in the garden. And, and he did, in fact, pray, Lord, man, I know, I know what's coming. I know. I, I don't think I deserve this. But then he said, it's not my will. Man, if I got a choice, there ain't no way I'm going to do what I'm going to be facing in the next couple of days. But then he said, I'll do it because I know that's your will for my life. In a few minutes, we're going to participate in what is known as the Lord's Supper. It is a time where we can reflect on our own personal walk with him. It is a time where we can be reminded that he died for us, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. But it's also a time where we can reconnect, where we can recommit, we can recovenant, if you will, with him that we're going to seek to be the very best that we can be in our service unto him. We won't be perfect. None of us are. There are days when I go home and I say, oh, God, how many opportunities did I miss today because I put myself before you? But coming together for the Lord's Supper is a time to to refresh, to rekindle, to restore that relationship. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite you up. My friend Scotty here is going to help me and assist me in it. And we'll take, you're, going to, you're going to be given a piece of bread. And that piece of bread represents Christ's body, which was broken for each of us. Then you'll dip it into the cup that Scotty will have. And when you dip it into the cup, then you will partake of it and you will eat of it. And as you eat it, you will be reminded what Christ did for you, what Christ did for each of us. Whether you have chosen to receive that or not, he did it for you. He did it for me. But then as we receive, it's a re-covenanting. It's, it's to renew, to restore, to refresh that covenant that says, Lord, I'm probably going to mess it up again today, but I'm willing to do what I can to bring leadership to a world that is filled with darkness. So in a few moments, I invite you to come and share together. Doors freed from no